You're listening to Fish Food, where we present bite-sized accounting and entrepreneurship advice in 25 minutes or less. Keep listening for interviews, guidance, and resources for freelancers and small businesses. And if you enjoy, rate and subscribe to let others know about the gym you found. Now, let's get started. Hi, and welcome to the workshop that is going to change your accounting life, Um, or at the very least, hopefully give you a foundation for what you need to make sure that your accounting and finance for your entrepreneurship venture is really well set, Um, but also just give you some information about the things that you need to know. Um, I will say the goal of this is not to make you an accountant by the end of all of this. I had to go to school and take tests and do a lot to get there, but I do want you to have the information that you need in order to make sound financial and accounting decisions about your business. So let's get started with our agenda. The first thing that we're going to talk about is I'm going to give you a little bit of information about Little Fish and how we work, and then I want to roll into the difference between business and personal and how to make sure that those are separated. Next, we'll specifically talk about financial reporting, what financial reports are, and how they're important for your business. And last, the reason that I know that you are all here, taxes. Talking about what types of taxes you'll pay, um, deductible expenses, and some answers to commonly asked questions that I get asked. So let's start with a little bit about me and about Little Fish Accounting as a firm. So I started Little Fish to support the needs of tiny businesses. What I found was that a lot of accounting firms that were larger really didn't give value to very small businesses. Very small businesses to us means that over 95% of our clients have less than five people on staff. So a lot of sole proprietors, solopreneurs, partnerships, very small LLCs, really just companies that would not otherwise have an accounting department. And so what I wanted was to make sure that accounting could be accessible to those firms. You cannot do all of the jobs. Um, It's one of the things that I have learned, maybe in some ways the hard way, but When you are a small business owner that does one thing, there's a million other jobs that your business needs. And so our goal is to provide a gap filler between people who need all of the work. And so we do monthly services, quarterly services, bookkeeping, tax to people who are like, I don't really need you to do everything, um, but I would like some guidance throughout the year so that as I'm doing it for myself, I'm doing it in the proper way with some support. Um, so we provide all kinds of services with regards to accounting and taxes, but one of the things that I wanted to make sure that people had access to was learning. And so that's why I'm doing this workshop to make sure that entrepreneurs across the country and around the world are able to see some information that can help them feel like they're getting off on the right foot before, or even during the point where they have to hire someone. All right. So the first thing that I want to bring up about why accounting is important and why it's so foundational to everything you do is because you really need to know your numbers. Um, It makes all of the decisions about your business possible. And I often say to people like, 
the baggage and emotional feelings that are around money and the fear around taxes and about whether you're making enough or whether you're paying enough, a lot of that just has to do with not knowing where you stand. When you think about watching things like Shark Tank or any of the shows or any point where you need to submit for a grant or a proposal or you want to pitch to someone, you need to know how your business is doing. Is your business profitable? What are you spending your money on? How realistic is it to expect that you will grow by this amount next year or the year after? That starts from a place of, I understand what my numbers mean. I have a sense of where I may be able to adjust some of them because I know what they mean. And I have an understanding of how numbers get into my business and then how they get reported out on financial reports. So really the opportunity to understand your numbers is a sense of empowerment over your finances. And remember that it's more than just taxes. When we talk about accounting, that's usually the first place that we go is how do I make sure that I'm calculating my taxes properly, that I am withholding enough, that I am deducting enough. But it's more than that. It's about growth. It's about getting to a point where you can start look at items like retirement accounts and profits and, you know, forecasting and all of those things, that all starts from a base foundation of what do I know about my numbers and then how am I able to use them to make better strategic decisions for my company. So a myth that I hear all the time is I'm not good with money. And I'll be honest, for some people that's real. I was not always naturally good with money. And so I overstand the idea that that might stand in the way of you getting really good with your accounting and finances. But the reality is a lot of times your accounting and finance issues are not because you're not good with money. You want to make money. So you're good enough with it to know that. Um, It comes from preparedness. It comes from organization. So if you have everything in order, if you have a sense of where you look for items, where you place items, how you categorize transactions, it's really less of an issue of whether you are good with money and more of an issue of when you look at it on paper, do you understand what the numbers mean and what changes you may have to make or need to make to make sure that they play out in the way that you hope. And that can be anything from, I need to increase prices, I need to reduce expenses, but before you kind of write yourself off as I'm not good with money, give yourself grace for the fact that it may just be that you don't have the tools that you need to do this well. And hopefully this workshop by the end of it will get you to a place where you don't feel like you have to stop there. All right. So Let's move to financial reporting. One of the ways that I think is really important to overcome your fear around money is to have financial reports. And we'll talk about specifically which ones you want to look at, but really your financial reports are telling you the standing and the health of your business. Are you profitable? Do you have money in the bank? How much do you owe people? All of that information can give you a sense of how healthy or not healthy your business is. It also gives you a sense of any gaps that you may need to fill. So I know a lot of you out there are working your entrepreneurship as a side hustle, and you may be wondering, when can I quit my job or when can I reduce hours at my job? A lot of that is dependent on the gap, right? So how profitable is your business? How much is your business making? Is that enough to sustain you? If it's not, you may be able to figure out that, oh, I don't need a whole other full-time job. I just need enough to make X to fill the gap between what my business makes now and what I actually need to be able to live on. Um, So think of your financial reports as a way to get you to that place, a starting point to say, once all of my information is in, I can look at these and be able to determine what I should be able to do next. 
you want to have financial reports and then you want to use those financial reports to check your accounts regularly. Have an overview of like, am I spending too much in this area? Is it realistic to keep you know, spending this much in advertising every single month? Is that an expense I need to keep incurring now that my business is in a different place? You also want to review how your business is doing at, at regular intervals. Um, I always recommend at least quarterly, just sit down, do a brief check-in to say, how has my business done over the last three months? And also keep in mind that when I say business, I'm using that as an interchangeable word for your freelance income, for your self-employment um, Adventure, it doesn't matter if it is incorporated. All of these rules are going to apply to you based on the fact that you're making money for yourself um, and that you're not necessarily going to a job where they're paying you and taking payroll taxes out. So whether you run a whole small business on your own or you're a 1099 employee at somebody else's job, all of this is going to be relevant to what you're doing. Another reason that I wanted to make sure that this workshop existed in the world for you all is that you're not alone in this. A lot of people are asking the same types of questions over and over. And I like to tell people I'm an accountant. I'm not a wizard. Um, so I know more information than you do simply because this is my job. But we're also not taught these things. And so I want you to be able to come out of this, again, with a sense of empowerment, but also as information that you need to know, even if you're not in a place where you can afford an accountant yet. You shouldn't have to be in the dark indefinitely because you can't pay someone monthly or quarterly or ad hoc. This should be a foundational thing for you to be able to use to make better money decisions for yourself and for your business going forward. All right, so let's get into the financial reports that are important to you. The first one that we always, always hear about is your profit and loss statement or your P&L. And straightforward, it's exactly what it sounds like. You take all of your revenues minus your expenses and you're left with a profit if you made more than you spent or a loss if you made less than you spent. Um... One of the reasons that your profit and loss is really important is that especially when you're freelancing or when you're running your own business, there are probably times where your money is inconsistent. And so you can start looking at your profit and loss statement across the year and see where there are ebbs and flows of money coming in, um, not so much money coming in when your expenses get higher. So your busy season may be the summer and then you know it's going to be a lot lighter in the winter, making sure that you can see that so that you can plan accordingly throughout the year. One of the other things that I like to tell people is it tells you whether you're really broke. I mean, we say that we're broke and, you know, there, there is broke. But there's also this idea of you don't know where your money is going. And if you did, maybe it's not that you're broke. Maybe it's that there's five subscriptions coming out of your account that you're not really paying attention to. And if you reduce those to the ones that were really necessary, you could have extra money and extra cash flow to go towards the things that you feel like you're too broke to afford for right now. The other thing is we want to know if you're profitable. And if you're profitable, what are the products or services that are actually generating revenue for you? So let's take an artist, for example. Let's say you create art, um, you do graphic design and you sell products and you teach workshops, right? So we've got four streams of revenue. Do all of those make sense to keep doing? Now, you may love all of them and it may be a sense of it doesn't matter if they're all profitable. I love them and I'm just going to do them anyway. But for a lot of business owners, you may not have the time to put into each of those streams of revenue. And so your profit and loss, if you break it down properly by revenue stream, you'll be able to see 
okay, I should really keep doing the art and the workshops, but it's not as worth it for me to do the graphic design because considering how much time I put in, I'm not really getting the revenue out of it that I would have expected. You'll also be able to see based on your expense categories, again, where you're spending your money. Um, are you spending too much on office supplies and software? Are you traveling a lot and Maybe you want to start thinking about that being incorporated into your contracts to get paid for because you realize how much you're spending on it. So that's really where your profit and loss statement is going to come into handy. It'll tell you whether you're profitable and then it'll lay out by category where your money is going and where it's coming from. The next one that we want to talk about is your balance sheet. Now, your balance sheet is still an important um, financial report, but it's going to tell you something different. Your balance sheet tells you what you owe and what you own. We have assets on one side. That is what you own. That's your bank accounts, your savings accounts, your inventory, equipment. If you own buildings, everything that you own is on this side of the balance sheet. On the other side, we've got liabilities and equity. Liabilities are what you owe. So business loans, credit cards, um, payables. So that's items that you may have received money for that aren't due yet. Think of that like sales tax. You're collecting that throughout the year. It's sitting in an account until you actually have to pay it on a quarterly basis. Equity is also on that side of the balance sheet. So that's going to be stockholders, um, dividends, money that you pay yourself if you're a sole proprietor because you're not counted as an expense. All of that is going to go on this side of the balance sheet. Know that at the end of the day, both sides need to match. Now, this is not an issue for you if you have an accounting system because it will make sure that that's done automatically. But if you're taking a chance on building this on your own and like an Excel spreadsheet, the foundational piece that you need to remember is that both sides need to tie. Another financial statement that you don't see quite as often, but you may see is a cash flow statement. And it is going to tell you how cash is literally flowing throughout the business. What types of things you're spending it on? Is it operating? Um, are you spending it on things that the business needs? Is it financing? Are you spending it to gain more money for the business? Um, how is that money going through? And so the reason that this is important is because of the timing of each of these reports. So. Your profit and loss statement gives you an overview, right? So if you're looking at profit and loss from January 1st through January 31st, it is going to tell you all of the money that came in and all of the expenses that you paid out throughout the month, between the beginning and the end of the month, everything that happened throughout the month. Your balance sheet is going to tell you where you stood on that day. So if you run a balance sheet for January 1st through the end of the month, you're going to see where everything stood on January 31st. It's pretty simple when you think about it because if you ran your balance sheet and you're looking at your bank account statements, you can really only see how much was in the bank on that day. Your cash flow statement is kind of filling that gap. It's showing you throughout the month what that money got spent on and where it went, even though when you look at the balance sheet, you're only seeing on this day, this is how much was in each account, this is how much I owed um, on liabilities, and this is how much I paid myself up to this point. Um, so just keep that in mind when you're looking at those reports. One gives you kind of an overview for the period. The other one just tells you where you stood at the end of the period. So how do you get information into your financial reports? 
the first piece of advice that I give anyone who ever asks me anything about accounting is to track everything, track every dollar that goes in and out of your business. Um, You'll see why this is more important um, as we get later on into the workshop. But one of the main reasons is because that's the only way that you know where things should show up, whether or not this number seems reasonable when you look at it at the end of the month or the end of the quarter. You can at least feel comfortable in the fact that everything that you did was included. Receipts. Um, there's a lot of uh, back and forth about what you should do with receipts, but just remember that you want to have support for any um, expense that you incur. So if you have the receipt, fine, save it digitally. We're going to make this year the year of not having shoeboxes of receipts. It is not worth it for you. Um, so you either want to put that in some type of cloud storage system um, and save them by folder, either by category or by period, or know that if you don't have the receipt, that doesn't preclude you from being able to deduct an expense or to claim an expense. You're going to have bank statements. You're going to have credit card statements. You may even have emails. You should have some kind of support that says that this expense was incurred. And so don't get too caught up with receipts um, as long as you have some other way to prove that you actually had this expense happen in your business. Um, but if you are retaining receipts, get rid of the shoeboxes, do this electronically, and make sure that you're labeling it in a way that you could go back and look at it later. It makes... It's of no use to you if you save all of your receipts for the year and if the IRS came back and asked questions, you'd have no idea how to support what you did because you have 5,000 PDFs in a folder. While your bank statements can um, support your expenses, don't rely on them to tell you what you spent and what you didn't for a couple of reasons. The reality is before this point, now you're going to change it. But before this point, you might have business and personal mixed up. You do not want to have to go back through all of your accounts to determine what you spent. Um, you want to get some type of cloud accounting system, um, like a QuickBooks or something similar, to be able to track everything. So even though it's pulling from your bank accounts, you're also having the opportunity to categorize it. So instead of seeing every single transaction listed one by one, you can go back and look at the system on your financial reports to be able to say, okay, I spent $100 this month, but I spent them in these specific categories so that you can pull them up for your reporting throughout the year, but also for your taxes at the end. When you switch to cloud accounting, it's also going to make it easier for you to pull information together. Um, this means that because it's pulling everything out of your account for you, you don't have to remember as much. So instead of you saying, oh, I went on travel last week and... I paid for a hotel, but I think I did that two weeks before, and then I booked my flight, but that was a month ago, and trying to go back and pulling that all together, it'll all be in one place for you. Um, one bonus of this is if you're applying for a loan, if you're applying for a grant, if there is some organization for any reason that needs accounting information or business information about your finances, you can just pull it straight from the cloud accounting system. It's not something that you have to develop all of the systems, no matter which one you choose, will have an opportunity for you to go in and just grab them. And then you can turn those around very quickly if they're asked for them. Um, I know for a fact that that will make your life easier. I'm sure that when you have to apply for those things, they ask for a ton of stuff. Don't let this be a thing that you're building from scratch if you don't have to. And once again, 
Keep your stuff separated. I will repeat that over and over and over again. Um, one, because you can see the clarity of your financial health. And this is especially important for your business if you work a full-time job. Because here's the reality. You work, there's money in the bank. You don't know if you gave the business $500 this month. $150 this month. You don't know if the business can take care of itself because all you do is look at your bank account at the end and say, there's still money left over, so I must be good. You really want to put your business, if it can't sustain itself yet, on some type of allowance. So you want to be able to give it money, see how the business spends it, and then determine if you want to give it more. When you're spending it all out of your personal account, you're just not looking at that. The other thing is, depending on your business entity type, it may be required. Um, so for your state, it may be, um, or for your LLC, it may be dependent on your state, but for all corporations and types like that, it has to be a separate account. And so you don't want a situation where you're audited later or you have to prove something at a later date and you're trying to go back through your personal account to pull out the business stuff that's associated with it. Okay. We are going to move on to taxes now. But before we do, um, in the last section, we talked about separating your personal and business accounts, which I should just say in every section. But I want to remind you that if you don't have a business name or an EIN or anything, quote, official for your business, that doesn't mean that you can't have a separate account. So open a separate account with your bank and just use that account for your business income and expenses. The goal is that the only thing that's going in and out is related to your business, but don't feel like if it's not official, official, you shouldn't do it. Also keep in mind that this has to do with any way that you get paid. So perfect example, if you get paid via PayPal by clients, have a business PayPal or have your PayPal where business income comes in, get directed to the separate account. The goal is to keep these as far apart as possible so that when you're looking at your business stuff, that's the only thing that's included. Now let's talk about taxes the reason that you're all here. All right, so I wanna just talk about really quickly the top five tax-related challenges that face self-employed workers. Um, and this varies year over year, but it's pretty consistent in terms of the types of questions that people ask about taxes. The first one is filing forms correctly. A lot of times that has to do with your annual tax filing, but for some people that can be, am I setting up my sales tax account properly? Am I setting up my employer payroll taxes properly? What am I supposed to check or not check based on what I do? The second one is keeping track of paperwork. So in the last section, we talked about receipts, but also just like when you get your federal EIN, do you have the paperwork for that? When you pay estimated taxes, do you have support for those? So having all of that in one place is beneficial, but I know that it can be a struggle for people who are trying to take on so many other things. Keeping track of where their accounting paperwork is sometimes gets lost by the wayside. Third, estimating how much tax to pay. That can feel really difficult. Um, we'll, in another section, talk about kind of exactly what ranges you should be looking at. But at a baseline, know that something is better than nothing. Try to calculate what you can, send them something, and know that if you owe the difference, it'll be a lot smaller if you, than if you didn't send anything. 
for saving enough money for taxes. So this is kind of a misnomer because I feel like that implies that the money was yours to begin with. And what we really need to do is reframe so that when you get cash, when you have a profit, you already assume that a percentage of that doesn't belong to you. What a lot of self-employed people do partly because they don't know and partly because, you know, let's be real, you might need the money, is that we take all of the income and then try to figure out at the end what's left over to pay taxes. You really need to reframe that so that taxes come off top so that you can determine how much is left and whether that's sufficient for you. Because that can make the difference between whether you need to increase prices because $100 is not $100, maybe a 75 and if that's what you're left with after taxes, is that sufficient for what you're charging for? Then the last one is finding deductions. We're going to have a special section where we just talk about common deductible expenses, but keep in mind that you're probably entitled to more deductions than you're giving yourself credit for. And don't be afraid to take advantage of deductions just because you've heard that they are red flags or something like that. And we'll get into that in a bit soon. All right. So let's talk about types of taxes. Withholding taxes is the big one. It's the one that you are most likely to run into. That's the money that you're paying the IRS and that you're paying the state. Now, when you work for someone, withholding taxes is the number on your W-2 about federal taxes withheld and state taxes withheld. This is your income tax. Then we have self-employment tax. Self-employment tax um, is assessed to you to take care of the Medicare and Social Security part of payroll taxes that are withheld when you work for someone else. So when you work for someone else, they pay for half and you pay for half. That's called the employer and the employee side of taxes. When you work for yourself, lucky you, you pay both sides. The IRS tries to lower this burden by allowing you to um, deduct half of it, but it's an additional expense in taxes um, outside of the withholding tax or the income tax that we just talked about. Sales tax is something that you pay the state. Generally, you pay it on products and not services. There are some exceptions, but that depends on the state that you live in. And it is essentially, you are a pass-through. So if you sell a product, I sell widgets, right? So when I sell the widget to you, I am charging you sales tax. I am collecting sales tax and then remitting it back to the state. That money is not mine. I sold you something for $100, you paid $5 in sales tax, I keep $100, I know that at the end of the period that $5 has to go straight to the state. So the reason I bring that up is because you want to remember that the state tax wasn't yours. You collected it and then you gave it away. It wasn't income to you. You're just It's just passing through your bank account to go to the state that it's owed to. Hope that makes sense. Um, and then the last one is franchise tax. Not all states have this. Um, for some people, it feels relatively arbitrary, but it is a tax that you pay pretty much for having the business. Sometimes you'll see this in the form of an LLC tax that's paid every year or every other year, and you'll see it show up in different ways. It feels like a fee, not a tax, um, but you'll see it uh, labeled as a tax. So keep that in mind when you see that come through. Um, another one that I would bring up is personal property tax. Again, not all states have this, but if you have furniture, equipment, um, property that's within the business, you may have to pay a tax on that. Um, 
a lot of states have a significant threshold after which you pay taxes. And so most of you and most of us will be exempt from that. But it's something to keep in mind if you get a notice in the mail that you're not completely surprised. It's pretty straightforward. Um, and if you have any questions on it, a lot of states are really good at outlining what should be included there and what should be excluded. All right, so next you're going to see a chart of deductible expenses. And deductible expenses are items that you're able to use to reduce the amount of income that you're taxed on. So remember that you're taxed on profit, not income. So if you make big dreams, a million dollars, and you spend 600000 in deductible expenses, you're only taxed on the remaining 400000 So this is why it's really important that you take advantage of all of the deductible expenses that you're entitled to, because each dollar that you have in deductible expenses is a dollar that you don't pay tax on. So if we're looking at the chart, you'll see that there are some that are pretty self-explanatory. There's advertising, um, and that can be anything from business cards to flyers to a website that you build, anything that you do to advertise for your business. Um, online advertising through social media platforms, all of those are deductible expenses. Training and professional development. So one thing that I want to point out here is not only is the cost of the training deductible, so if you pay to attend a conference, also your way of getting there is deductible. So if you have to travel to attend this conference, that's going to be a deductible expense. If you travel to or live in a major city where the conference is being held and you have to pay for parking, that's deductible as well. So think about your training not just as the cost that you're incurring for that event, but surrounding costs that might be related. Also remember that training doesn't mean you have to leave your house. So if you pay for an online training course or if you pay for a webinar, those are deductible expenses as well. Make sure that you're tracking those out of your separate business account. Insurance. So insurance that we're looking at here um, is going to be your business insurance. Health insurance, if you're self-employed, is likely deductible. But when we say insurance here, we're usually looking at, say, liability insurance, um, any type of coverage that you pay for in order to protect yourself or protect the business from lawsuits or anything coming forward on the business. Travel, And you'll notice that I'm kind of going around clockwise on the unhighlighted items. The items in black we're going to go back to because there are special nuances about those. Travel is next. Um, if you have to travel for work, travel for the business, um, that's deductible. So that includes lodging, airfare, train fare, um, meals, which we'll talk about in a bit, are deductible at 50%. But any associated costs that go with you traveling for the business are going to be deductible expenses. Supplies. Now, this means different things for different people. If you're an artist, it could mean your actual art supplies, the canvases, the brushes, the paints themselves. Um, if you are a graphic designer, these supplies could include the software that you use, um, the the items that you have to pay for to get the right fonts or colors that aren't automatically built into what you're doing. Supplies can also be office supplies, office expenses. So anything that you have to buy and use to do your work, those are considered supplies and those are deductible expenses. Last kind of on this part of the wheel are going to be legal and professional expenses. Um, so 
legal and professional, you can think of lawyers, you can think of accountants, but you also want to think of anyone who's performing a professional service for you. So if you hire a contractor and they're providing something for you, that's going to be a deductible expense. If you pay someone to do some consulting for you, that's going to be a deductible expense. So if you have to pay for help in the business, just remember that that's going to be something that you're going to be able to claim when you run your taxes later in the year. Now let's look at the items that are highlighted in black because there are a few differences with those. Meals are deductible at 50%. Now you want to track them throughout the year at 100%. However much you spend in meals, you want to capture that full number. When you go to run your tax return, you're going to put the full number in and the tax program will automatically know that you only get 50% of that. Um, the reason I say that is because when people hear 50%, they'll usually cut it in half and then go submit that to their tax return. Well, if you think about it now, you're only getting 25% instead of half because you're getting half of a half. Um, meals are deductible when they are business meals. Think of the difference. If you take a client out to eat, if you are meeting up with a potential donor, if you are talking to someone about doing a specific service with you that's related to the business, that's going to be considered a business meal. If you co-work for the day and you buy yourself lunch, that is not a business meal. So that's not going to be a deductible expense to you. The IRS says you had to eat anyway. They are not giving you credit for that. Um, but all those other meals that we just discussed, make sure that you're tracking those. If you pay for them, that you take credit for them on your tax return. Telephone. This is one that goes missing a lot. A lot of people forget to claim their cell phone expenses. And we all know how often we use our phones for businesses. And this is beyond phone calls. This is texts and emails with clients, um, social media that we have to do, um, any work that you're doing on your phone because you're not doing it on your laptop. That's business use of your phone. And so you want to make sure that you're able to claim some of those deductions. What I generally tell people is to start at 50% use. I use my phone 50% for business, 50% for personal, and then go up or down um, based on how much you estimate you use it. So if you feel like you can make the case for the fact that you use your phone 90% for business and 10% for personal, you should be able to claim 90% of those expenses for the year on your tax return. That goes missed a lot because generally you pay for it out of your personal account, and so you may not be thinking about it when it's time to run your tax returns for your business, but make sure that that doesn't get lost. Our cell phones are expensive, and the plans associated with it are not cheap. And so if you can get an extra boost by being able to reduce your taxable income from those costs, definitely take advantage of it because you're entitled to it. Mileage. Um, mileage... The main thing to remember is that you need to track it for the year. Um, there are easy ways to do this. There are apps that will stalker, track you wherever you go, and pull up trips that you can identify as either personal or business related every time you make the trips. Um, and that'll make it easier so at the end of the year, you can see two numbers. How much did I drive for business and how much did I drive overall? Both of those are going to be needed for your tax return. Um, there are two ways to claim mileage. The first is actual expenses. I'll be honest, almost no one should take this one, but I want to explain it to you so that you know what the differences are. Actual expenses means that you take how much you spent on 
gas, oil changes, repairs, anything that you had to do with the car. You tally all of that up and then you take your business mileage as a percent of total miles and then you apply that to your actual expenses. So let's use numbers so this is a bit easier. You spent $1,000 this year on everything for your car and you drove 200 business miles out of 1,000 miles for the year. That would mean that you can take 20% of those actual expenses and deduct that from your tax return. The reality is it's a much more complicated way to calculate your mileage expenses and it's usually not the number that will give you the highest return. So the second way that you can calculate mileage is to take the standard mileage rate. The U.S. or the IRS comes out with one every single year. They tell you how much it is. You take your business miles, multiply it by that standard mileage rate, and use that number as your deductible expense for car and truck expenses. Um, What that is trying to do is take into account the wear and tear. It's kind of a conglomerate to take in everything that you would have spent on expenses and just boil that down to a rate that you'll use. The reason that most people use it is one, it's easier, and two, it's usually the higher number. And since you're entitled to the larger of the two, I'm going to say that you're more than likely going to choose the second option, which is to use the standard mileage rate. But the thing to keep in mind is that either way, you got to know how many miles you drove for the year. So if you have a car that you use strictly for business, it's a whole lot easier to calculate this. But if you have a car that you use for business and personal, you want to make sure that you're identifying how much of those mileage expenses or sorry, how much of those miles fall into each bucket so that you can calculate it properly on your return. Home office deduction. Uh, A lot of people are scared to claim this. We hear that it's a red flag, but it's not a red flag unless you're lying. Uh, One of the rules that the IRS has made very clear about home office deductions is that it has to be regularly and exclusively used for business. So what does that mean? Regularly means you are consistently using this office for your business. It's not one that you use once a year and you're trying to claim the whole year's expenses for it. No, that's not fair. The IRS will not allow it. Exclusively means you don't use it for anything else. Meaning, if you work from your dining room table and you also eat dinner at that dining room table, you are not exclusively using it as a home office and you cannot deduct it. Now, that doesn't mean you can't get creative. I've seen people use um, closets or portions of their living room. As long as you can kind of carve out a piece and say, this little plot of my apartment or my house or my condo, I'm using specifically for the business, you can claim expenses associated with that. And so... Uh, What you're going to do is you're going to take the square footage of your home office, wherever that is, and then the square footage of your whole house, and you are going to apply that percentage towards the various expenses that it costs to maintain. So rent. Um, If you own, it would go towards mortgage, interest, and real estate taxes. Um, Utilities. You could make the case for internet and or cable if you use that for business. All of those expenses, you're going to be able to claim a percentage of those as home office expenses. Um, A quick note about home office and mileage. If you do not work from home and you drive to another place to do your work, that is considered commuting mileage and you don't get to claim those miles as part of your business miles. 
However, if you have a home office, lucky you, your commute is from your bedroom to your home office, meaning that when you leave your house to go to another place, technically you're going between offices and you can claim the mileage that's associated. Um, We didn't talk about this, but if it's not mileage, if you are taking Uber or you're taking the train or you have some other way that you're getting there, think of those expenses in the same way. You can claim them. They are deductible, but they are not deductible if they're considered commuting. The last one that I want to talk about is setup costs. So sometimes you're going to incur costs before the business starts making money. The IRS has very specific rules on that, and you'll want to talk to your tax advisor to make sure that you're claiming the right amount. But the main thing to remember here is just because those expenses were incurred prior to you actually um, making money or kind of officially starting the business doesn't mean that you can't deduct them. You may be able to go back and grab them depending on what you spent and how much you spent uh, based on the threshold that the IRS has implemented. One of the other things that I wanted to bring in here since we're talking about taxes is how you pay people. And one of the things that comes up often is the difference between a contractor and an employee. So on a baseline, know that the difference between a contractor and an employee is that an employee has payroll taxes withheld from their check, and you pay associated payroll taxes as an employer, and a contractor does not. You pay them a flat rate, and when you do, they... (laughs) take taxes for themselves, either by paying their estimated taxes or by waiting to the end of the year, but you're not responsible for that. Um, A main question that you want to ask when you're trying to determine whether someone is a contractor or an employee is the level of control that you have over their work. So just think through, do they have to come to an office? Do they have to work specific hours? Is there a very clear process outlined for how they do work for you? If they do, they may be an employee. And you want to be very careful about how you're um, establishing whether someone is a contractor or an employee, because if you are calling someone a contractor that should actually be classified as an employee and the IRS or the state finds out, they can penalize you and make you pay the withholding taxes for all of the time that you have them misclassified. So just keep that in mind. Look over what the person is doing for you, whether they can have, say, competing clients. Can they work for other people? All of those by themselves are not reasons, but if you add them all up, and it turns out that really this person is working for you, not with you, you want to make sure that you're classifying them properly and then handling them in that way in terms of your HR and your payroll functions. The other difference is that a contractor is going to get a 1099 at the end of the year, very straightforward, name, information, and their amount that they earned from you for the year. That's required for you to send as an employer if you've paid them over $600 for the year. Um, An employee is going to get a W-2. We're all pretty familiar with that. It will show all of the money that was made for the year plus all of the payroll taxes that were withheld throughout the year so that the person can then use that to show the IRS and their state agency that they've already paid some of the taxes that were owed. What I always recommend for contractors is that you ask for a W-9. And a W-9 is just a really simple form that people will fill out to give you their identifying information. That kills two birds with one stone. One, it makes sure that the person knows that they're a contractor and that you're not going to be withholding taxes from their check. And two, it gives them a heads up which they should know, but maybe not, that they're not being paid under the table, that a federal form will be generated at the end of the year to tell the IRS how much they made. Um, It is 
the contractor's responsibility to report all of the income they made, whether they got a 1099 or not. But this just avoids any conversations that you might have at the end of the year when you're trying to get information from somebody to be able to develop that 1099. And either they don't work with you anymore or they don't give it to you timely. It just causes a headache that's unnecessary. So when you know that you're going to hire a contractor, one of the items that you should put in their welcome packet or their initial kind of stack of paperwork that you give them should be a W-9 that they fill out to give you the information that you need to file a 1099 on their behalf at the end of the year. All right, so that's all that we have for you in the workshop. So what would we say are your next steps? I have four for you. The first one is get your personal finances in order. To be honest, none of this works if your personal finances are in shambles. I have never seen a person who had their business finances on the up and up and their personal stuff was trash. So all of these rules apply regardless, but you want to make sure that you're doing what you need to in your personal life so that it doesn't spill over into your business. For example, if you're constantly overdrafting or constantly having cash flow issues on your personal side, it is going to be really difficult to make a clear separation for your business finances. So step one, get your personal finances in order. Do what you need to so that that is on a level playing field so that when you start creating systems and putting things in place for your business, they're not getting sideswiped by what's happening for you personally. Second thing, I think you already know what I'm going to say. Separate your personal and business accounts. I've given you examples of how you can do that. It's very easy, very simple, and I think will make things a lot easier for you as you follow the steps that we talk about after. Third, get a cloud accounting system. Stop relying on your bank statements at the end of the year to pull all of your expenses together for your tax preparer. It's not worth it. It makes your life a lot easier. There are free options out there. You have a lot of choices. And so make your life a lot easier. And also, this is just a sign that you're taking your business more seriously. You can send invoices from here. You can have people pay you directly from your cloud accounting system. This is kind of your opportunity to say, this is a real thing. I'm taking it seriously, and I'm going to act accordingly. The last thing, track everything. Every single thing. Make sure that every dollar that you make an income, you're recording. But almost more importantly, make sure that every expense that you're incurring is getting recorded as well. You deserve these expenses to work in your favor when it's tax time. And I want to make sure that you don't lose them just because you were tracking improperly. All right, so you might be wondering, where can you find us after this? You can find out lots of information about Little Fish as a firm on our website at littlefishaccounting.com. If you're on social media, you can find us on Instagram at littlefishaccounting and on Facebook at littlefishaccg. Um, and if you have some direct questions that you want some answers to, feel free to reach out and email us at hello at littlefishaccounting.com. I certainly hope that this was helpful for you. Take advantage of all of the resources that are provided along with this workshop. Um, we are happy to serve you and happy to give you some, some resources so that you can move forward and not feel like you're starting at zero. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, there's good news. We've got additional free resources for you to get clear on your small business finances. Subscribe to our bi-weekly newsletter by heading to littlefishaccounting.com slash subscribe and check us out on Instagram at littlefishaccounting.